It was the first three points of the season for the Brisbane Roar and another point a day later. This is the Brisbane Football Review Season 5, Episode 4. Hello everyone, it's James Scott and Adam here with you on a very steamy Wednesday evening here as we're just waiting for the incoming storm. Scott, how are you going? Oh, it's not too bad here actually, James. How are you? Oh, it's good. It's looking a bit apocalyptic here. How about you, Adam? Yeah, uh, up here in the beautiful north, it's uh, very, very cloudy. I think it's about to come in. Oh, that's comforting. So this recording could actually be all for naught if we wind up losing power at some point during this. But in the meantime, let's just uh, discuss all things Brisbane Roar. It was overall a fairly profitable weekend for the club with the A-League side defeating Melbourne Victory 3-1 and the W-League side containing their, continuing their strong defensive form with another clean sheet and a nil-all draw with Melbourne Victory on Sunday. Uh, we're obviously here for, well, mostly ourselves because we don't have a sponsor, but uh, if you want to get in contact with us, Facebook, The Raw Review, we're still working on changing that. Twitter, at BNE Football. Email, any comments, questions, anything else, uh, discussion topics, Brisbane Football Review at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave a rating and a review on any of our podcast platforms, main ones being iTunes and Wooshka. We're also on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and a couple of other good podcast platforms. And also Football Nation Radio. Please be back with them for another season. And please see them back up and running, bringing us all sorts of good football content. So, plugs out of the way. Adam, what do you say we get into segment one in the A-League recap? Oh, I think we should. I think it's uh, a very, very uh, rare three points down in the Victorian capital. So, I think we should celebrate it. That's right. If my numbers are correct, Scott, that was just the fourth time the Raw have won at Amy Park against either Melbourne club and it was a fantastic effort in what turned out to be I would say a coaching masterstroke on halftime by Warren Moon to turn the fortunes in favour of the Raw Absolutely, it was a very rare win down there at Amy Park it was the fourth from 26 games so it has been a while but this was a, a terrific performance from the Raw when you look about it all across the board as an away performance it was everything that you would want to see in an away performance from a side because defensively in the first half victory did put a lot of pressure on the Raw and the possession in the territory was largely in their favour, but defensively, the back four of Hingott, Gillespie, Aldred and Brown was absolutely superb in the way they snuffed out almost everything the victory could throw at them with some terrific in-person one-on-one defending in the penalty area. I think Jack Hingott had five clearances in the first half alone, so that shows you just how good he was individually, and as a collective group, they were absolutely amazing, and in the front third this week, unlike we saw against Melbourne City in the first game, they were ruthless. They had a couple of really good chances, and they took them. The first goal was a really well-worked move down the left. The second was a great set-piece play, and we know the Raw have worked on those. We've seen plenty of times before that in big, close games, Warren Mooncoats sides often break the deadlock with a set-piece. You think back to the grand final in 2018 when they beat Olympic League. The game-winning goal came from a corner in the first half of extra time. So we've seen, and that's one example of, of countless. So we've seen that before with a really well-worked play, and... I think it was great to see Dylan score as well, James, because we know he gets a lot of chances and it was great to see him take one. And I thought it was a really, really good away performance across the board. See, I've got to disagree with you a little bit there, Scott, just solely because, yes, it was, you know, very good, desperate defending in the first half, but it did feel like to me they spent the first 45 minutes holding on for dear life, 
possibly in part because they weren't sure exactly what Melbourne Victory were going to do. This was the Victory's first game of the season, but I really thought they were lucky to be heading into the break level, considering Victory had all the running and the Raw did have. It did seem like they were scrambling. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it was the case in the first half, especially after um, the equaliser, Cal McManaman scored, and what a debut he had. That was so it was almost it's almost like after what he did for for the rest of the half they're almost sort of you know trying to second guess oh what else can he do especially um so sort of, you know if he's going to score you know absolute you know screamers like that you know what else is he capable of? but I think at the end of the day I think is it, when they came out for the second half it's almost like they calmed down and said oh well you know what he's just a, he's just another player let's treat him like that rather than treat him with kick gloves and um it does seem to sort of work. And that's for me, is where the game was won, those halftime adjustments. And look, this is three points that I feel like you've got to give almost full credit to Warren Moon for, because as you said, that second half, they just looked a lot more assured. They were getting a little bit more luck going forward. I think they had a shot in the first 90 seconds of the second half, if I remember correctly. But they just seemed a lot more uh, focused and confident going forward. And it seems like something was said at halftime that really changed the tenor of the match. It certainly seemed like that, wasn't it? It seemed like the instruction was that you've got to get tighter to the victory midfielders and really stop them playing. And that was something that when Jesse Daly came on, he had a massive impact in flipping the control in midfield. You think about the first half. The victory midfielders, Butterfield, and I think was it Broxham in there alongside of him? Yes. Yeah, they had a lot of time on the ball to pick out the attacking players on either side, particularly Mick Manor, who Adam mentioned had a terrific first-up game from their perspective. The second half, that, that completely flipped. Yes, they were probably tired, the fact that they haven't played in a long time, they've been in a hotel room doing a bit of training, but they haven't played any games between now and their Champions League end of that campaign. So it's been a while. So I mean, you can understand why they would lose steam. But when Jesse Daly did come on, it just completely flipped the script in midfield. And after that, it was almost one-way traffic, James, in terms of the, the Raw had the control of the midfield and they started to push forward in numbers and it looked like they were the better side. And they were the better side. Definitely. Well, let's run through the three Raw goals. We'll start off with the one in the first half where, look, I'll admit... I thought Scott McDonald was offside. It was a driven pass in from Adam. I'm drawing a blank here. From Corey Brown. Corey Brown. That's it. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, driven pass slash shot sort of thing in. And McDonald was just right there to deflect it. And he honestly thought he was offside as well. You could see him put his hands up and go, yeah, whoops, sorry about that. It was that. a cutback to Wenzel Halls, I think. It was a cutback. There we go. Um, but yeah, overall, he was there going, he thought he was offside, but I think it was Nick Ansell who was a bit slow getting back in line with the rest of his defenders that was playing McDonald on, and it turned out to be possibly the most fortunate goal Scott McDonald will score in his career. Yeah, it was fortunate, but it was also completely confusing because everyone completely didn't realise Nick Ansell was there for at least a minute. Because everyone's like, it's offside, it's going to be offside, nice finish, but offside. And then they get the camera angle, it's like, well, wait a minute. No, he's clearly onside because... He was at least a metre back from from Nick Ansell, so it was... Did the, the linesman, did he have his flag up from memory? I think he did. He, he did, he? yes. So he, he, the linesman missed it as well, so it was bizarre, but it was a good little finish and a nice move. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, actually, I actually think the linesman actually was reacting to where Corey Brown was. That, uh, you know, that Because he, he was, for lack of a better term, he was, in a, he was in a more advanced position to what Nick Ansel was, who was sort of just loitering in that no-man's land between Brown and uh, McDonald. And I think that's probably what the linesman's seen. And, and like I said, this is all, we've got to remember, this all happened in a flash. So, yeah, look, in, in the end, look, I know we've all got misgivings about VAR, but, um, yeah, look, this one, I think, you know, if, without it, I think if it had been given offside and stood, then you go, oh, well, you know what, it happens. But, uh, 
yeah, I'd, I'd rather say, well, that's VAR for you. Definitely. All right, on to the second one, Macaulay Gillespie. Well, you know, Rora certainly looking good at corners. You guys touched on that already, but it's uh, starting to get a bit of an impact as well. I remember him scoring a header against Perth last February as well. So this is something that we definitely think that the Raw should be you know, looking to try and build on. Yeah, it's a strength of Brisbane when you think about it. Not just Gillespie last year, but Scott Neville as well had a couple of goals from corners. And they could have had a few more over the course of the last season as well. So the height that the Raw do have, you know, Audrey Gillespie, a few other players in the side as well, they're going to be threats at set pieces, both offensively and defensively. So you can see that the, they've got the tools there to be effective in terms of winning headers in the box, James. And it's just about the delivery. And the delivery on that, I think, was from Corey Brown, was absolutely perfect. Yeah, it was inch perfect there. And Gillespie made no mistake with the header. Yeah, look, no, and that's the one thing. It's become... It, it was for a long time a source of, um, you know, almost embarrassment away. I think Raw went 200 and something corners of that goal, and, and it, was, it seems to be one of the things that definitely that was righted with you know, the likes of the recruitment of uh, you know, Tom Aldred and uh, McCoy Gillespie as your centre backs. Um, it's as far as you know, it's now you know at another sort of you know, so I guess a string in the arsenal as far as you know where Raw now are an aerial threat, especially at corners and set pieces in general. Yeah, and it's a fantastic thing to add because, let's be honest, in 16 seasons of the Brisbane Roar, despite the fact that their most famous goal from a, uh, for, in normal time, <laughs> yes. or in no, not from the penalty spot, came from a corner, set pieces have never really been an area of strength for this side. So, you know, more power to them. Then the third and final goal, which put the game to bed, just came out of absolutely nowhere, but it was a brilliant heads-up play from Tom Aldred, and... For me, that is the best of uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls there, taking on defenders and the goalkeeper to score a what turned out to be an absolutely brilliant goal, and really good to see him score and get his uh, get a bit of confidence from that as well. Yeah, look, I think a lot of the uh, I guess the the entertained lot, you know, sort of yeah, it's, it's Route One football, but look at the end of the day, the, the pass was perfect. It was between, it found uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls between two defenders, and um, look, he still had a lot of work to do. He had to sort of prop and you know, change course to, to get um, past Max Crockham. And um, look, it was a really well-taken goal. And it, it's actually good to see him um, bury one because I know he's had a couple of opportunities where you think, you know, he probably should have scored in, in the last of, um, I guess, the last couple of games. He even had a chance early in this game, which is sort of just put wide. So it's good to actually see, see him find it back. Now, let's just hope now it's confidence to, you know, go on and, you know, and score more frequently. You can call it route one. I just call it transition play. They won the ball back and ordered picked out a picked out Dylan Wenzel Halls in the front third in space, and that's that's one of the great strengths of players like Dylan who've got the pace to run in behind. And I think it's it's a weapon the Raw can use quite effectively this season, particularly Wenzel Halls and Champs as well. So they've got players who can do that, and it was a really good bit of play. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's as we've been saying for you know the last year plus. That's the sort of thing that we want to see Dylan continue to add to his game. That level of nuance, that, I suppose, heads-up play. And, look, once again, you've got to give plenty of credit to Tom Aldred for that pass as well. It was a, it was a good heads-up play. He saw that's where the space was. And, look, late in the game, those are the sorts of goals that you've got to score. I remember, I think it was Aloisi's first season. How many chances did we see Brandon Barillo and Jamie McLaren have with that sort of uh, build-up where it was just quick, get it forward to the quick players and then just let them... Uh, move on and have a bit of a play with it. Okay, just now, quickly, James, before yep. we move on, that's also the sort of goal that Dylan needs to score on a regular basis if he's going to move kick forward in his career. There's talk of the Oli Roos this year at the Olympics, talk of all sorts of things. If he's going to progress to that sort of level, they're the chances he has to take. 
was also just going to add to that point to say that, you know, as far as the, that sort of goal, it's a very, very nice weapon to have, especially if you're playing in front, you know, and needing that, and with the, with the uh, opposition trying to chase the game, to, to, you know, to basically to fire a pass from your own, from your own box, you know, to, to one of those speedy sort of, you know, wingers. Um, look, that's a fantastic weapon to have. It's really going to sort of, you know, have team second guess about how much forward they're going to come out chasing the game. But the Raw need to at least still play from in front. And that is so, and that is something that I feel like is going to be really important for this Raw side with the way that Mooney is going to have them playing from the outset. Obviously, we saw them against Melbourne City really going for it from the start. They are going to be a team that likes to play from ahead. Although, you know, having said that out loud, show me a team that likes to play from behind. I'm not quite sure about that, but anyway, that's, that is just something that I feel like is going to be really valuable, especially when they are trying to close out those sorts of games. So you've heard our thoughts on the game. We've got a couple of clips from Warren Moon's press conference afterwards that we want to hear, get his thoughts on the game and uh, the defending. I thought, uh, you know, I thought we, um, you know, if you look at the game as a whole, we probably didn't play the way we wanted to in the first half. Uh, but we obviously, uh, we addressed that at halftime, changed a couple of things and, uh, performed how we hoped we could going into the game in terms of how we set up to play against them. So I was really pleased and I thought we deserved it. Anything in particular that got uh, A couple of little things around uh, how we wanted to be a little bit more aggressive in our press against them. We wanted to make sure we were a bit more um, closer to their key players at times when the ball came into their feet. Uh, but also personnel change. You know, we brought Jesse Daly on and he had a great impact tonight and uh, shifted Jay a little bit higher and Riku out to the right. And, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, look, last year's uh, was a back three. It was a different system. It was effective last year, you have to say, because of where we finished as a club. And uh, But that's gone. And, and you know, I, my preference is obviously going with a four and... Um, the boys at the back have spent their whole career in um, the UK playing of a back four. So, um, and they're good players. They're clever players that can adapt. And um, we've said all pre-season we want to be adaptable. We want to be adaptable in the systems we play, opposition. Uh, but the intent to play football, be a bit more attacking, will always remain with us. All right. Thanks to the FA or A-League for their press conference audio there. And Scott for clipping it up. All good. I think it's the um, APL now, isn't it, technically? The Australian Professional Leagues or something? We'll get we'll onto that later. Yeah, we'll get onto that later. We've got a whole segment dedicated to that. I do uh, want to give a special mention as well. Jesse Daly, his introduction in the second half, like, it, it was just, a, it was once again, like a really good tactical move there, bringing him on. And look, we were told before the season that, you know, Daly's work ethic is one of the best in the squad. And to be honest, like, I, I haven't seen anything to... Uh, be proven wrong on that right uh, so far well, the way that he just came on and threw himself right into the game that is absolutely the sort of um, impact sub that you want to see them making yeah look Jesse Daly he reminds me of you know of, of players such as like a Corona or a uh, Massimo Madoka or that that sort of ilk going back into the in the I guess the, the golden age of, uh, of Brisbane Roar and, and that sort of bodes well I think when you have that sort of type of player that busy midfielder that's you know just causing absolute you know that you know mayhem as far as you know that work ethic um, it always bodes well for the Roar and the, t- and the type of style of play that they bring to tables. So, yeah, no, I think it's exciting times ahead. It'll be interesting to see whether um, Warren Moon persists with Rema Akbari you know, in that midfield, whether he wants to go with Jesse Daly as a starter. That's probably the interesting question. But, um, yeah, look, um, hats off to Jesse Daly. Uh, he, he, had, he had a very, very good game off the bench. 
probably talk about that later on in segment four, but I, he just took the words right out of my mouth, Adam. I think he is exactly like Matsumoto Doka in terms of the energy just he taller. brings. To, yeah, taller and all, the same <laughs> amount of it. Maybe slightly better finishing as well, but he brings the same sort of energy to the midfield. And James, you can just, as I said earlier, he completely changed the game when he came on. The midfield completely flipped in terms of the dominance that the Raw had from there. I thought, I thought it was an interesting change as well because we knew Riku was versatile. And this is the first chance we've seen him play as a member of the front third. So I think there's something that where you can probably fit the three of them in there in the midfield and move Riku further forward if that's something you wanted to do to really shore up that midfield. Yeah, and that is the sort of versatility that we do really want to see as well. Now, there was this one clip uh, from after the game, which we got courtesy of Fox, that I do want to throw in as well. This is Warren Moon talking about you know, bringing local Queensland talent through the raw. So we're just going to go to that uh, quickly now. There's two schools of thought. There are, there are people that think uh, players can, can step up from the next level and there are people that think they can't. Um, I'm certainly one that thinks they can. I, I believe in not just Australian talent, but Queensland talent. And uh, we had a couple of boys come on tonight and perform very well for us. And just quickly, like uh, the quote itself was actually doing the rounds on Twitter um, via Simon Smale, fellow football Queensland commentator. Um, and I just thought he picked the perfect photo to accompany that post as well, just with Moon beaming yeah, look, with pride after vein, what was what, probably the biggest um, win in his managerial career. So overall, now, I think there's a lot to be pretty happy with. Wouldn't you agree, like, Scott? Yeah, you know, once you once you built your side, you know, with your foreigners and you know with the best supplies available, the rest should be um, Queensland, especially being a sort of one state, a one club state, a one state club. Um, that, yeah, basically, it, it's also, you know, Harks Waltz, obviously, that there is a pathway for you know, any young Queenslanders that, you know, go, going through the academy and whatnot, that they have that opportunity to um, to advance to the senior team. And that, I think Warren Moon, obviously, who still, you know, obviously, as um, as the Raw Academy general manager before he was appointed uh, head Absolutely. coach, is something okay. very strongly. Now, uh, just quickly running through you know, the other A-League scores as, this weekend, Central coach, Coast 2-0 you know, over MacArthur. To see that Excellent start by the Mariners. Wellington uh, two, Wellington went down to Sydney 2-1 in their fo- first home game in Wollongong. Actually, I've got to work out what I'm calling them. Are they going to be the Wellingong Knicks or the Wellington Phoenix of Wollongong? There we go. And uh, Adelaide 2-0 over Melbourne City. Did not see that one coming. I tipped the draw in that, so... I would agree with that. It's also Now, as we are doing this season, we're doing our BFR Player of the Year, and one of us is going to be revealing our votes each week by reading the run sheet. Adam, it's your turn to reveal your A-League Player of the Year So the talent is most certainly there, and this win down in Melbourne, it does have Queensland youth talent all over it. Jesse Daly, we've talked about a couple of times, Dylan Wenzel-Halls, we know what he did in the MPL, so... There's clearly a lot of talent there, and it's great to see Warren Moon really, really using it. We knew he would, but it's great to see it in action. You've got three months to work it out. No argument. Well, a few maybe there from Scott, but... That that. No, all I all I will say about my votes, and I I think it's my turn to do the A League neck in next week's show. But overall, yeah. Um, at halftime, I admit I had two players on my list for votes and was struggling to think of a third one. By 
the end of the uh, by full by the full time whistle, I had five players competing for that third and yes, final spot. So, uh, so for three points, very, I gave to Gareth Shea. I thought you know, positive second his, half. His efforts in midfield, I think, especially is that deeper lying uh, player. I think that that was a lot of the. Uh, I guess <laughs> shake his uh, shake his head here. Yes, well, uh, for those hey, of you who are just vote. tuning in for the first time <laughs> that, this season, I, I thought where that the he, hell have you been? Had a, you know, and also, um, yeah, just on that, we, so the three of us are going to cast so three, two, one votes each week. On. One of them will be two revealed Maldred, every week on the show, well, and at the end of the season, we'll tally them up and, I don't know, give them a really cheap $5 trophy from Target or something, see what we can dig out of the storage shed. No, well, that's June. There's no critiquing of the three, two, one. Okay. That's going to be it for segment one of the podcast. We'll be back right after this to talk about the W League game, which was coincidentally also against Melbourne Victory. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And we are back on the Brisbane Football Review after a break that... I swear it was much longer than it sounds on the uh, final podcast recording. It's James Scott and Adam here with you. And we're into part two now where we're going to recap what was a slightly less eventful W League game where the Raw drew nil-nil with Melbourne victory. And look, I'm going to be honest, not the best game of football I've seen. Yeah, no, nah, it's not going to be one for the highlight reels and or, you know, the marketing material. But look, it's uh, two sides that, you know, I think are going to be up there as well. It just completely negate each other. And, um... Uh, especially in in tough conditions, very windy um, day, an open open stadium, open ground like uh, CB Smith uh, Reserve, and uh, yeah, look at the end of the day, uh, neither team could find the back of the net. It was it was frustrating. It felt it felt like the raw going forward, they just didn't quite have that. I don't know if it's cohesion or just a clear understanding of what everybody's role was, but it felt like far too often for me they were expecting Emily Gilnick, Mariel Hecker, or Tamiki Yallop just to produce a moment of, to quote Ned, Ned Zellich, individual brilliance. We love a good Ned Zellich quote around here, but it, they just seemed to cancel each other out the two sides, didn't they? It was obviously victory's first game of the season. I think offensively, Raw weren't as fluent as they were the week before against Melbourne City at Dolphin Stadium. I thought that was a much better attacking performance. It just seemed like, it, to your point, that there was two sides who were, who were going to be there or thereabouts, and it's just not... It's just, they cancel each other out. That's all, that's the only way you can put it. Victory were pretty good at times. Raw were pretty good at times. Neither side were able to take the couple of good chances they created. And ultimately, I think they could still be playing now and it still might be nil. Yeah, that's it. And look, we have to give credit to the two keepers as well. Worth and Garten both pulled out some pretty impressive saves. And it, it wasn't all a case of attacking uh, instincts being stifled. The keepers did do their job as well. So... I, I have to I have to be fair and balance it out that way. Yeah, it's good, good for Georgina Worth, actually. Two clean sheets in a row to start her W League career. I know she played a game a couple of years ago. This is her first real chance as a number one goalkeeper, and to go two games without conceding a goal, it's great for her and her confidence. She made a couple of nice saves along the way as well. So that's one of the good positives to take out of it, is the fact that the, the goalkeeper in the back four are looking really solid. It's just at the other end of the field. I think they've just got to tweak something to try and create more chances and score a couple of goals. It is something that we're going to have to see them work on as well. And obviously, a lot of the Raw players, especially the ones that they have brought back from overseas, they are going to take a while to find their legs. And even someone like Mariel Hecker, who is just coming off a massive NPL season as well, she's probably not 100% fresh either. 
Yeah, look, it's I, I maintain what I said last week that when this side eventually clicks, it's go, it's going to be um a lot of fun to watch. Let's hope it's at home, you know, you know, Thursday. Well, hopefully, look there uh, tomorrow night. Be it'd be nice, but um, yeah, look, it it is um, yeah, it's a case of it doesn't seem like that. Yeah, that it's that there's one focal point as far as the attack, and I think it's something that yeah, it's it's like it's almost like they're almost falling over each other trying to figure out what's the best plan of attack because not not only you got the front the vaunted front three, but then you've got you know the likes of, you know, Letitia McKenna, you've got, you know, Katrina Gorry, even Isabel Dalton, you know, firing from distance, and it's really not, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, even less cohesive and less sort of organised than it was against Melbourne City, um, but yeah, look, once it clicks, it, it's going to be fun to watch, it's just, um, but again, what can we say about the back four, I think another clean sheet, that's two in a row, and look, they're, they're very, very solid at the moment, I really don't think they, other than, you know, maybe a speculative shot from, um, Karakuni cross uh, late in the first half. They didn't even look. They didn't even look troubled. No, I didn't. I think with Mario Hecker as well, they're going to have to, to your point, James, manage her through this W League season. It's obviously played a full NPL season. We know Mario hasn't been playing the outfield game for a long time either. So, and it's obviously a higher intensity in the W League. So I think they're going to have to manage her through this. Maybe that's where Live Chance comes into it in the next week or so, potentially giving Mario a bit more of a spell. But I also think Rosie Sutton needs to get more involved as well, just as that pure number nine. Unless Emily Gillen going to play through the middle, I think the Raw need to have that focal point in the middle just to give them a different option because I thought, I just, when it's the front three that starts the game and with the false nine option, it just, it just seems like there's something missing in the middle, doesn't it? I think that's where maybe where Rosie Stark can come and get involved in the side. Well, we were talking about this on uh, Sunday in our group chat and my big, my big thing is, who's, who's your go-to goal-scoring threat? And for me, Emily Gillen is probably the leading contender for that. And I just wonder why she's being put out on the wing when... like, And look, Tamiki Yallop is a more than capable goal scorer, but I still feel like she's probably better suited into a midfield role. And I kind of feel like Jake Goodship right now is... He's picked his best 11 players and is just trying to fit them all in. I do feel like Rosie Sutton would probably be better suited to playing that out-and-out striking role or you want to maybe move Gielnick into that uh, into the central striker role and play someone else out on the wing. But, look, it, it's a good problem to have where you've got that many good players, you've got to try and find a suitable role for all of them. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. I think it's almost attacking overload at the moment. Like, the... the, the obviously the back four is set I think it's that's that's the, the one positive we can take out of this at the moment is that that that, uh, d- that defensive back back four is as solid as you're going to get at the moment but yeah as far as you know trying to organise you know, the, the, you know the, the, t- the three in midfield three in attack yeah it just seems to be sort of all over the place at the moment and you're right I agree I think it's a case of Jake Goodship is going with six best attacking and forward players without any real structure and uh, and yeah, it's just a case of now it might be time to actually find that structure and find the best players, you know, to fit the, those roles. Because yeah, um, 180 minutes of no goals from that attacking group, um, it's just not good enough. And and also, we have seen Letitia McKenna also push forward as well. It's almost like she and Yalapa sharing that sort of false nine slash attacking midfield role. And yeah, it is almost just a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. And maybe at some point we do see them simplified. Obviously, they... You know, have Canberra coming up, which we'll touch on a little bit later. But they do have that ability. To, they have the goals in them. That's definitely not in question. But yeah, I do. I do want to pivot now and talk I think about that's exactly what, what it is. Actually, James, yeah. there's too many attacking-minded creative midfielders in that middle third. Maybe it's time to 
just define players' roles a bit more clearer. Yeah. That that being said, you know, having seen what we've seen from Mariel Hecker pretty much all NPL season this year, last year, and whatnot, if they want to let her have a little bit more of a free role and let her operate as that sort of wide playmaker like we've seen players with her skill set do before, let her do it, but then maybe just make sure that everyone else around her is kind of building the team, uh, operating in a way that supports that role. Or do you want to make Gielnik this uh, focal point and have everyone else working to support her? That That's just where I keep landing on all of this. Yeah, I think that's got to be the way. Emily Gielnik's the uh, most high-profile goal scorer in the W League at the moment, obviously with a lot of the Matildas unavailable. I think that's the way this side has to be built. I think that's the way it has been built. It's been built around finding a way for Emily Gielnik to score some goals. I think that's where... That's what they were looking for, and I think that's what's going to have to be the case going forward. Hopefully starting tomorrow against a really good Canberra side. Absolutely. And look, once again, we do need to just go back and praise the raw defence for a second straight clean sheet. You know, Polkinghorne and Carroll, uh, excellent job. Winnie Heatley on the right and Jamila Rankin on the left. It's just been, yeah, it's been overall a thoroughly impressive performance as well. So... And, and we do remember at the start of last year as well, that was a defence that did get breached quite a few times as well. So it is good to see them uh, working or starting so strongly. It's important for the wanna... youngsters as well, James, as well, for young Jamila Rankin and Winnie Heatley to come into a side and build confidence really quickly. Definitely. I uh, do also just want to give a quick mention to former Raw player Nat Tatham, who unfortunately looked like mm, yes. she did her ACL in... It wasn't a good sight, was it? That, that of course, had to be the clearest picture the broadcast sent out all afternoon, wasn't it? It probably was <laughs> the clearest picture the broadcast of the whole weekend, actually, given the things that happened at a couple of other games over the weekend. But, yeah, we can only send our best wishes to Natalie. Hopefully, she's back on the field soon enough. Made the big move down to Melbourne to try and get more playing time. Found herself in the starting lineup, and unfortunately picked up a pretty pretty bad injury by looks like. So we can only say best wishes. Yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. Although... Um you know, in a silver lining sort of thing. Logan's Amy Jackson uh, was able to take her place and another product of NPL Queensland getting onto the pitch in the W League. So there is that. Um, obviously, you know, I'm sure she would have much preferred her opportunity to not come about at the expense of a player's injury. But anyway, um, we do just want to quickly... Bench- I did just want to quickly touch on as well what looked to be horrible broadcasting conditions for uh, Teo, the commentator there as well. I think you said, Adam, before the game, he was commentating from a jail cell, by the looks of it. <laughs> it looked like it. Um, and, yeah, I went at the time, I'm thinking, wow. Yeah, it, it actually turned out he was actually behind behind the big the big steel fencing that surrounds C.B. Smith Reserve, which was next to the... with, with the... Um, the camera scaffolding in front, so it was not um, ideal for for Teo and uh, and Macheka who was there in commentary. But I think they did, yeah, they did a, a fair enough job. I think at the end of the day, but uh, yeah, not the greatest, um, you know, commentary conditions for them. But it was it was a very very tough day, just um, just conditions wise, even for broadcast. I think at the end of the day, after hearing what they had to go through, not only with you know. With sort of Mother Nature, but also as well a lot of the uh, you know, border closures and whatnot. Just we can thank our praises; they actually even got a broadcast out. Yeah, well, that is actually what I wanted to touch on quickly and say. Yateo did uh, point out on his Twitter after the match, talking about how they had issues just getting equipment there, which may also have explained why the quality might not have been as high as what we're used to seeing from Fox Sports. 
It wasn't a great weekend, though, for the broadcast when you think about it. There was obviously the missing footage of, I don't know if they found it or not yet, of Mirza Maradovic's goal in the A-League. They and, did. And I found it. Congratulations for finally finding the footage. I look forward to seeing it at some point. But there was also issues with the other W-League game. I think it was Canberra and Melbourne City. Something about the graphics not quite looking right. So maybe there's some, some issues to sort out with the broadcast. Because they are paid to do a job, James, and they've got to get it right. And things, like that, things I... like that should not be happening. Oh, no, I agree. But just more from a commentary perspective, I think yeah. Teo made the best of the situation that he was put in there, as did Emma Checker. You're well versed um, with, with commentary positions, so you've ever, I don't think you've ever had something like that obstructing of you, have you? Uh, no, the closest I've had would have been when I was doing GPS out at Ipswich Grammar, except I had a pretty decent monitor to, monitor to work off there. Where, But yeah, I had a pole that was obstructing about... 20% of the field maybe but the like monitor quality and camera was that good I'd like to think he didn't notice nah, and also I had two positions here in the NPL Queensland James definitely and also I will say you know just a quick plug for Double Take Sports their camera operators did a fantastic job getting me the pictures I needed to get the job done so thanks to them for that okay um, player of the year votes for the W League and it is my turn so unsurprisingly I have gone for a fairly defensive flavour for my first two picks. Uh, three points, Winnie Heatley. Before the game, we talked about how it was going to be a real big test for her against Lisa Devanna, and I thought she held up unbelievably well against one of the most talented attackers uh, this country has produced. Um, Kim Carroll, two votes. Uh, the number of times I heard Teo and Emma Checker say, you know, Carroll with another crucial intervention as well. And then one point for Marielle Hecker. She's taken to the W League like a fish to water I suppose is the correct way to put it or like a Brazilian to samba music I I don't know how many stereotypes I want to play into but I thought it was another strong effort from her as well and she managed to talk her way into a yellow card as well so overall a fairly productive afternoon for her so that was so now was it uh, Heka Esha uh, what other there's was, there was about four different um, pronunciations, pronunciations yeah but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah we may have to talk to, T- to Teo about how he pronounced Kapalabar as well <laughs> yeah I was trying to get what he was talking about there shout out to the Raw Corps by the way who did actually get Marielle Ecker to pronounce her name <laughs> in the before the season started so shout out for that uh, that definitely helped a few yeah. different takes of it. it's like Shoma Abogugu a couple of years ago it took everyone three quarters of a year to get that right as well I think we settled on Chi Abogagu, but that yeah. yeah, that, but yeah, no, that that is always tough. But I think uh, calling Kapalaba Kapalaba is a Melbourne thing because I've been on uh, FNR a couple of times and I've only given them the text of it, and that's just how they've pronounced it. So anyway, all's well that ends well. Uh, that's going to be it for segment two, and we're going to come back with part three of the Brisbane Football Review right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And it's segment three of the Brisbane Football Review now. James Scott and Adam here with you as the storm that's supposed to hit Brisbane is just hovering around us right now, or at least where I'm recording. We are doing this via Skype in the interests of social distance and, let's be honest, a little bit of laziness as well. <laughs> yes, but, uh, especially for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Adam doesn't got like to... to leave his north, his north Brisbane habitat very often. Uh, We've got yeah, the Adam, playing uh, up there now. Yeah, exactly. I, I like to stay in the Morton Bay region. Exactly. So, so that means you get the be... disclaimer out again. <laughs> <laughs> what, the minister for tourism, or the fact Mayor that he won't Redcliffe. be there. Yeah. It is. <laughs> okay, segment three. Um, 
we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into what was easily the biggest story of the past week in Australian football, and that is the final official unbundling of the professional leagues from Football Australia, and it will now be managed by a new entity called the APL, Australian Professional Leagues. Greg O'Rourke moves into the commissioner role and reports to a board of five club reps, one Football Australia rep, and three independents. The chairperson will come from the group of three independents. Uh, Have we put in our applications to try and fill those three independent roles yet? Uh, No, not yet. Maybe I should. What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) Profile first. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Um, So, in short, the dummies guide to it, the APL is responsible for operational and commercial aspects of leagues, including marketing... Uh, Football Australia will maintain regulatory oversight, including uh, implementation of promotion and relegation and the National Second League. Broadcast rights will be done as a partnership, so that is something that will probably bear worth watching. I think, from what I read, I think it was Vince Rigari who had the story and was talking about how the original plan was to try and follow England's model and have it close to the way the Premier League operates in conjunction with the Football Association. However, it seems like they've opted for something a little bit closer to what we've got in Japan and Korea. So, any business students out there, feel free to give us a breakdown of what that business model is in Korea and Japan because, I'll be honest, I'm just the monkey with the microphone. I don't really get into the whole nuance of contracts and all of that. No, I'd be interested to read that as well, actually, if anyone does want to come and give us a nice explanation of it. But it just seems like this is what the clubs and the owners wanted for a long time. So they've now got the control over the aspects of their business that they really want to control, of marketing, promotion running of the league, direction the league goes going forward, and it seems like now they've got that, and I do think the FFA having that oversight is really important, because the fear, one of the fears that people had who were against this was they can just run their own ship and completely run it into the ground if that's what they want to do, and the FA having that oversight to be able to say, no, we're going to make sure this is run right, is important. I also think the broadcasting thing is actually also correct, because you want James to be football to be on the one, the one page here with a broadcast partner, whoever it ends up being, being you want the national teams and the, the domestic league on the same broadcaster with the same sort of presentation. I think that's all really impressive. I think this is, it's taken a long, 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 long time to get here, but I think we're in a really good space. There's now hopefully the clubs do what they said they were going to do and take this league forward. And on that as well, like, yeah, I, I am glad that the FA have maintained their oversight of the competition as well. I think they still have a say in things like expansion as well. Um, I did see a quote that they were talking about trying to get the A-League up to 16 teams sooner rather than later. So, you know, in a couple of years, we could be seeing another round of uh, new clubs coming in. But what really jumps out to me above all else is marketing. So first like, so first of all on that, Kevin Ayers pointed this out as well, and I've noticed it as well. I'm, on Twitter, we've seen I've seen quite a few more... Um, like promoted videos from the A-League as well, talking about football is back, you know, get around it. And yeah, okay, we're not seeing, you know, the big billboards, the bus stop ads that people might be used to, but isn't this how to, how they should be appealing to the people that are, are, are the football fans they should be going for? Yeah, that's, um, I, that's, I completely agree that at the end of the day, um, Football, football Australia is there to to run the game as far as and you know whether, whether people's you know beefs of the past or whatever um, that that's 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 um, their, their right as as you know as the affiliated you know, organisation of no uh, FIFA and the uh, Asian Football Confederation but at the end of the day that the competition needs to be advanced by 
you know, the governing body. But it, it is the marketing. It is the intellectual property. It's, it's, it's at the commercial direction. That's where the A-League, I think, I think most football fans, especially over the last couple of years, could point out and say, that's what has been lacking from Football Australia because they probably don't have the expertise. They probably don't have the originality. Like, you're playing in different markets. You know, it's, it's five or six different markets. What, what, hap- what works in Melbourne will not necessarily work in Brisbane or what works in Sydney will definitely not work in Perth. And that's where this independence, I think, has become most important is how the clubs embrace the, com- the commercial aspects and the marketing. And then this let Football Australia handle how to govern the competition. And two points on that as well that I want to talk about from a local perspective. With the Raw, you've sort of seen them take this approach, especially in the last season or two, talking about we are Queensland's team. They're the only A-League side in the state, and they've you know tried to get a footprint through the academies and participating in the NPL and all sorts of other things. So you know they've kind of got their, I suppose, targeting, target strategy. But the way that I really want to see the Raw push this as well is... With things like merchandise, there's only like there's been such a. I'm trying to find the right way to say this, but there's been such generic. a, yeah, generic limited range of thank you Scott, yeah, generic limited range of Brisbane raw gear available. It's you know, a couple of caps, a you know a polo or two, and the jerseys. You know, I I, I know I keep hammering on about this every single show, but you know up at Redcliffe those. You know, Brisbane Raw hoodies are going to come in very, very handy if they can sell three or four different styles. You know, you get the bright orange ones, you maybe get a white one, a black one. Give people a choice. And, you know, you can really get a bit creative with that. You can have, like what we've seen Fanatics do with a lot of NFL teams, you know, really get that sort of, you know, you know, you can see them have maybe a Brisbane versus Australia and New Zealand, or at least Brisbane against Australia and Wollongong t-shirt. You know, you can really pull up that sort of, Thing and get each club to really market along their own identities. Yeah, look, I think that's the most important thing as well, and that comes under that uh, that commercial framework. Is that uh, merchandise is going to be a big one? That's a lot of um, a lot of fans have complained in the past that you know either it's too expensive like for, for jerseys and a lot of it is because the clubs are making next to no money from that you know because of the licensing agreements that are done with football australia now that each, each of the clubs have are in control of their own destiny you're right it could very very well be a case of you know rather than having a template that football australia sent out to all the license holders is now a case of well you know what you want to market the game and you want to make money off merchandise go nuts again like i said a case of what works here in queensland will not necessarily work in in wellington so um yeah look at that that's the one thing you know you've got to hope that all uh 12 clubs are very very are very very smart in the way they they you know control their own destiny because this is what they've fought for for the last three or four years now yeah not only is it generic james it's also cookie cutter stuff it's the exact same stuff wherever you go in the league the scarves and the the, the um the cups and the beer holders and all the rest of it. It's all the same stuff, just with different colour and different logo. There's no individuality in any of it. And the same is also for the websites. That's something else the clubs can now really begin to to take hold of is their digital content and their digital presence, the way they go about it. Not every club has to do things the same way now. We've seen the Raw have already launched their own website for their academy. It's a very well-run website. It's a really well-designed website. Perhaps they can now incorporate their website as a whole and make that part of the academy one so that's the sort of thing that teams can now do is they can do things the way they want to do them if they don't want yeah. to sell four different hoodies because they're not going to need them fine but in, in Brisbane's case perhaps they might need that at 
at Dolphin Stadium. They can also do things like commemorate past success. So you can maybe have a hoodie with three championships on it or something like that. So the things you can do now, I'd, I'd buy one too because I know James's eyes lit up when I said that. But oh, yeah. That's the sort of thing you can do now that they've got the ability to direct their own destiny. When I was cleaning out um, my a uh, couple of space bags of old clothes during lockdown, I actually found the two grand final, the first two grand final t-shirts, the ones with like, it, I, I'm still not exactly sure what happened with the t-shirt um, I got for the Mariners grand final, but that thing has shrunk about 25% from what it started off as. It, it's just, it looks like it's about a boy's size 12 now, and I got a men's size small before either of you make a smart joke. <laughs> But it, yeah, I knew that. I knew what was coming. However, it really was like, yeah, I, I would love to get a t-shirt, you know, for the Wanderers Grand Final, you know, like the stuff that they produced back in 2014. And look, I, I could run through all sorts of Brisbane Raw things I probably would buy because I am a sucker for sports gear. But back on the jerseys as well, I do just also want to mention that they really do need to get them under $100. Like, you've got to make them more affordable than Premier League kits that that and the La Liga ones and all European kits because look as much as I hate the Euro snobbery that your average like just general football fan has here you've still got to fight against it because you've got to get the football fans on board and look maybe if you especially if you are going for the youth base you know sell them for 90 bucks because I guarantee there are going to be parents that go out there to buy jerseys for their kids that say oh I can get a Brisbane jersey instead of a Manchester United jersey or an Arsenal jersey or an Everton jersey that's 110, 120 bucks. And there will be parents that make that sort of decision. I can guarantee my mother would have done that growing up as well, given the choice between the two teams I follow. Probably would have gone for the cheaper one. Hi, Mum, if you're listening. But um, yeah, and just on the club websites as well, that's something that, look, I do want to single out the NFL teams as well, especially the one I follow, New England Patriots. They've got their own... this weekend, by the way, just out of interest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't. We don't have to have have this February meltdown this year. It's great, isn't it? Sorry, go (laughs) ahead, James. We completely derailed you. Go ahead. (laughs) You're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, he's offended. I was just going to say, while while James uh, gets his composure back, um, I think it's while... Sorry, uh, I was just say, many, just many a hint for the Royal Marking Department is that there is a 10-year ten, ten anniversary coming up very, very soon, which if they can get their ducks in a row very quickly, it might be worth putting a whole range out for. Yeah, it's a couple months away, that, isn't it, actually? You've got the 10-year anniversary of the Central Coast Grandfather as James continues to still sit back and pretend he's not actually engaging in this show. But, yeah, I do think that's certainly the sort of thing that you can do going forward, and you can really start to embrace the... The, um, the history of each individual club. You can also build better relationships with the brands associated. So the Raw obviously are with Umbro at the moment with their, as their apparel partner. You can now start to really branch out into other things that Umbro might be able to provide that previously the Raw weren't able to engage with because of the commercial arrangements they had with the FFA. So it opens up all sorts of different doors in many, many different aspects. Well, just on that, Scott, I will say the Patriots will be watching uh, the players from the same place as Cleveland Browns coach will be this weekend. So, oh, go. moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, yeah, content, marketing, there's all these things that the clubs can do now, and that, for me, is the most exciting part of this independence. Um, we have talked about broadcast rights quite a lot before. Uh, we do also have to talk about what was essentially the first major decision of the APL, 
and that was to strip Martin Lee of the Newcastle Jets license after several breaches of the licensing agreement by the sounds of it. Uh, a consortium led by the owners of Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers and Western United have taken ownership of a new entity that will manage the license until a new buyer can be found. And they've installed former NRL CEO Shane Matisse as chairman. I really hope I said that right. Apologies if not. But uh, yeah, and <laughs> I, I do have to also just mention, well done announcing the unbundling at like four o'clock on New Year's Day. Just brilliant timing for that. And also, your first, it's not ideal that their first uh, story that they're covering, essentially, is, oh, by the way, one of the club owners is gone. Yeah, but I think we, we heard rumblings for a while. I think that this was, this was going to happen again. It was a case of, um, if they had a, if, if they had acted before um, before the independence papers, I guess, for back in better term, the independence agreement was signed, they were responsible for Newcastle, not not the APL, the new entity. So I think it gets in a way is it, I think it's all was going to happen sort of in a pattern. But um, yeah, look, I think um, already you've sort of seen uh, Shane Matisse come out in the um, in the uh, in the media today, sort of uh, talking up, you know, obviously um, about trying to sort of you know rescue and sort of redirect, you know, Newcastle just starting with um, ten dollar tickets for adults and five dollars for juniors for their Friday night game against Newcastle Jets, uh, which Newcastle most with Western, Western Sydney Wanderers. Which, that, Which most think, of Western Sydney won't be able to attend, actually. Yeah, and I think, and the rest will be. I think we'll be booing the bejesus out of Carl Robinson, the, <laughs> the trader, from their point of view. So, yeah, look, um, but yeah, look, I think it's a case of when you don't pay your bills for fourteen months or whatever. Um, yeah, the 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 powers that be, be it the FI, be it the APL, had to act, and and you know that's the end of another sad chapter. And unfortunately, for a club like Newcastle, it's yeah, you know, here we go again. You know, after. We thought that, you know, after Nathan Tinkler's uh, little, you know, joined, you know, venture into there, we thought, oh, that'll be the last time. But it's sort of, you know, history's repeated itself. So let's just hope that the new, the next owners will do a better job. It's sad in a way, too, because you think back to the first year of Mark Lee's ownership, the Jets did so well, didn't they? They had a side which not many people thought would be able to contend for the finals. They made it all the way to the grand final. We saw how much that Newcastle community got behind the team. And I'm sure with the ticket prices this weekend, plus the return of Carl Robinson and Bernie Abini. I'm sure there'll be a pretty good crowd along with. So I think they'll get a pretty good crowd down there this weekend. And I think that's. It's almost like a. It's a reset for Newcastle, isn't it? And we need them to be in the competition. It's such a rich football history, and anything about the players who've come out of there, including someone who said, "I'd rather surf for England than play for Australia," but we'll leave that alone. But they've got a lot of great players who've come out of that part of the world. So I think it's it's important that they survive in the competition. And I, I think, I think the APL will make sure they do it. They won't want their first order of business to be regarded as a failure. So I'm sure that Newcastle will be in the competition going forward. It's just a matter of finding a new, hopefully local ownership group who have passion for the area and can get behind the team. And look, on that as well, I I do think the new ownership group, finding the right people is going to be very important. But I also do wonder if there is going to be a little bit of a... Throw it. Uh, they're going to be a bit more willing to negotiate because we have heard, you know, other A-League owners in the past, including those of the Raws, uh, hold... You know, they're holding out for a certain figure, so they feel like their investment is going to be repaid in full. And I do wonder if the um, APL clubs might be a bit more willing to say, all right, look, we found the buyer. You know, maybe we've got to take 500k less than what we could be getting for the club, but it's getting them in the right hands. That's the most important thing as well. So fingers crossed it's a bright future for the Newcastle Jets. Um, Yeah, and hopefully that uh, things get off to a very good start this weekend when they host Carl Robinson FC on Friday night. 
Now, speaking of Friday night, we're going to go right into our game previews for the weekend so we can try and keep this podcast under an hour. Uh, the W League, tomorrow night, up at Redcliffe, Brisbane against Canberra. The Raw have got a pretty good history in this fixture. Play 27, won 14, lost 7 and drawn 6. Tamiki Yallop, 12 goals in this fixture, more than any other player. And Scott, wouldn't we just love to see her get her first for the season uh, this weekend? I oh, would love to see it, or wouldn't you? Thursday. Multiple Thursday's the weekend. as well. That would be ideal, yes. I would just be happy to see anyone score from the Raw uh, tomorrow night. But, uh, yeah, Canberra have... Um, they're, they're top of the league at the moment. And Michelle Heyman, uh, after her sabbatical, she's come back and she's uh, scoring goals almost for fun at the moment. So that's going to be a tall task for... Um, we're, we're praising the Raw defence uh, tomorrow night. I think they're going to find a very, very stern challenge in, Mich- in Michelle Heyman uh, tomorrow night. Hopefully this is... I know she and Katrina Gorey are quite good friends, so hopefully this is where they can just get distracted or something. I, I, I don't know. Gorey nice. just... Yeah, Gorey's job might just actually be to be a pest and try and, you know, mess with uh, Heyman's focus. Oh, hopefully. Look, Michelle Heyman's had a great return to football after a couple of years out, of course. I mean, she was great at the weekend against Melbourne City, so I think Michelle Heyman does loom as the major threat for a Canberra side who a lot of people kind of thought would be good but not quite in the final. Mm. So they look like they're a better side yep. than anyone gave them credit for so this is actually a really really tough test yeah I'm expecting a really good game hopefully this is the one where the dam does sort of break for the raw going forward and my only concern is the fact that well both teams are going to be playing on I think five days rest as well and presumably there would have been some nervous moments for the raw getting out of Melbourne on Sunday as well with quite a hectic travel schedule so you get the feeling that if they're, if they're not quite firing on all cylinders Canberra could very easily make them pay yeah, five days rest. I think um, we're also going to have, you know, it's gonna, I reckon it'll be another, you know, stinking, you know, humid night up in up at Dolphin Stadium as well. So I think it's going to be a case of, you know, survival of the fittest almost. And uh, look, I think like the Raw defensively are very, very strong, but I think, you know, the, the attack need to take the opportunity because there's every chance that this, uh, as as uh, Nicky Flannery proved um, on on uh, Sunday Arvo, uh, how, how, how easy it is to snatch... Um, such a game, and this is this is a game that really, you know, could be a um, a sucker punch, you know, win for Canberra if, if um, yeah, if, if Raw don't take the chances. I, I'm I honestly don't see the Raw keeping a clean sheet here, so they're going to have to find a way to score, plain and simple, even if it is just to get a third draw to start the season, because Canberra certainly do look like the you know the biggest test they're going to face so far. And we should also mention as well, uh, Logan Lightning goalkeeper Keely Richards returning to Queensland as yes. well. So good to see how she's going there in Canberra. Now, Scott, what yes. are we going to be talking about from this W League fixture this time next week? Well, hopefully we'll talk about Liv Chance's debut because I think the Raw need to get her involved as soon as possible. But the Raw have won five of the last six games of Canberra. The other game was a draw. I think they'll make it seven games unbeaten and they'll win the game. I think they'll win this Ad- game. Adam, what are we going to be talking about for the W League? Uh, Raw score a goal at last. There we go. And I'm going to also uh, say that the Raw's defense finally gets breached by an absolute screamer. So, okay. Now we're going to move on. Um, The A-League. Brisbane are playing Melbourne Victory. If that sounds very, very familiar, it's probably because it should since they played uh, on the weekend. And because of the fixture reshuffling and whatnot, this is why they're playing twice in eight days. It's almost like the 2014-15 season where the Raw and Victory had to play twice in... I think it was four days, maybe? Saturday was... to Friday. Yeah. Oh, Saturday night midweek. down in Melbourne, and they played Friday night in the finals. 
No, that's not the one I'm talking about. There was a double hit. Oh, that's yeah. oh, that two games up in Brisbane, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah there was like, like a Wednesday and a Saturday. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think from memory the Raw lost that second game two uh, one nil on a dodgy penalty. Shocking that Victory got one of those, um, and that was actually what and Victory couldn't clinch the Premier's plate that night because they didn't win by enough. So how's that for a random memory? Anyway, they, look, it was also that was against the um, kids, basically as well, because yeah. around the Raw's championship campaign, so they needed, they needed a penalty to beat the Raw's kids. That's right, and it was uh, yeah, Lockie Jackson, Abraham Yango, and a bunch of other kids as well. Yeah. Devante Clute, possibly. Yeah, he yeah. probably would have been there. And uh, the infamous Franz Tyson error. Sorry, <laughs> error. <laughs> error. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, no confidence so, if he made a sub that night. Oh yeah, that's right. But anyway. Um, Okay, we'll quickly run through a couple of quick questions as well. Scott, do you change anything heading into this match? Yeah, I, I bring Jesse Daly into the starting lineup for Joey Champness. I think we saw last week Warren Moon brought McDonald in off the bench in the first game. That worked quite well. He brought him into the starting lineup. I think he'll I think he'll recognise that Jesse Daly brought a lot to the table against Melbourne Victory. He will bring him into the lineup, move Ricky further forward, and I think he'll save Champness in those in that heat and humidity against a tiring victory defence of a 20-25 minute cameo I think that's that change is pretty likely Adam yeah I agree with Scott I think it's a case of um, change, change it up you now a few tweaks I think Daly comes in I I think also as well um, yeah you could probably you could probably reconstruct that um, that front three I think yeah I think McDonald uh, Riku and uh, Riku and uh, Wenzel Hall I think would be maybe a staying three Joe Champions off the bench um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that the midfield battle, I think, again, is going to be all important. Whoever, and it's in most games as well, but I think particularly with these two sides that, you know, are very, very even, you know, either way, I think the midfield battle is going to be where it's won and lost. And uh, containing the likes of, you know, Callum McManaman and um, and even uh, to, to a point, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure if Marco Rojas... He's out. Uh, that's what I was going to say. He's out. So that's a big loss of victory as well. Yeah. which I Well, think... that was my next question. So there we go. Yeah. But I think uh, Elvis Kemsober will probably come in. I haven't looked at, obviously, a bit over the squads. But, um, but yeah, uh, that's probably a change. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, I think it can change. I think it can change up. But, yeah, it's almost like treating it as like a second, a second leg of a cup tie, I think, um, as well. And have the uh, benefit of the away goals. <laughs> Yeah, Bolo, what's the long throws if Ryan shot in place of victory this weekend as well? We know he's an exponent of the long throw, so he potentially could make his debut this weekend, so that's something else to keep an eye out on. I'm sure Alder and Gillespie have seen it all before in the lower leagues of the UK, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I actually would probably consider uh, sticking with the same starting lineup. although if you are going to bring Jesse Daly in for his work rate in midfield, I would actually consider just giving Ramadak Bari a little bit of a break as well, and that way you can keep that attacking front four going at home with Riku, Champness, McDonald and Wenzel Halls. But that's just that's just the way I would do it. Um, yeah, so Adam, what are we going to be talking about from the A-League game? Uh, two straight wins for the Raw. Scott? Yeah, I can't see them not beating victory after what happened at the weekend. They found something, they found something against victory. I'm, I think they can execute it really well. I think they'll win again. All right, I'm going to say after, yeah, a bit of a frustrating effort against Melbourne City... With just one goal in that match, we're going to be treated to a five-goal thriller up at Dolphin this Sunday evening, which will probably be what I need, considering I'll be up watching the NFL playoffs very early Sunday. 
So we'll just have to wait and see. We've had a oh. shot at you. We're not having another one. <laughs> Damn right. I'll, I'll, I'll cut your microphone off. I, I don't know how, but I'll find a way to do it. All right. We should probably get out of here before the uh, lightning starts hitting and the power gets cut. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, James. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, you two enjoy your teams in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Whoop-de-frickin'-do. We'll try. <laughs> That's it. Uh, get out to the football this weekend. You can get to Dolphin Stadium tomorrow night, Thursday for the W League and Sunday for the A League. It'll be two matches well worth seeing in person if you can get out there. Try and book your tickets in advance. Just save yourself the headache of getting to the door. Uh, otherwise, watch it on TV. There's going to be a whole lot of football coming up this weekend. Enjoy it. We'll be back next weekend to talk about it all here on the Brisbane Football Review.